Hi there, my name is Ben Eaton, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to a broad range of musicians, artists, songwriters about their experience in the music industry. We'll be talking about their dreams, their background, their career highlights, and a range of other topics relating to making a living inside this tough cutthroat industry. We'll also be discussing the current COVID-19 crisis and how it affects their income, their goals, their dreams, and what they think might happen next to them and the industry they love. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to talk to uh, educator, curator, jazz musician, performer, all-around musical legend, Cecilia Stalin. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Did I, did I get enough superlatives in there, I think? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was and- like, oh. Okay, oh, yes. yeah. What else? Yeah, what superstar. Else? Yeah. <laughs> Keep talking about me. It's great. Um, so just uh, just to kick us off, can you let us yeah. know a little bit about uh, who are you, what do you do, and how long have you been doing it? Uh, so um, I'm Cecilia Stalin. I am from Sweden. And um, I'm... Uh, yeah, I'm an artist primarily and a songwriter. And uh I lived in um in London for about 15 years. And uh during that time I have uh, you know worked with uh everyone from the streets to Alicia Dixon to I've worked with Mutia Buena and Cinematic Orchestra. And, and so I've done everything from kind of uh, the um, uh, the backing vocal work to the solo piano singing work to anything that really kind of paid the bill. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, because uh, previously to uh, London, I was... Um, I was educating myself. So uh, I was studying at the Royal Academy of Music in Stockholm. And I did one year at the new school in New York at their jazz program under Reggie Workman. Wow. And so uh, straight after I finished my education there, I, um, I, I wrote and released an album and that got a lot of attention. And so I got really excited and then I started hitting up jazz clubs in and around Sweden and they were like, Oh, do you sing jazz standard? Do you know our audiences prefer jazz standard? And I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay. So instead of trying to change people, which is impossible, I just decided that let me just change the environment. And so my sister lived in, in London for, I think, babe, 10 15 years at that point so i was like okay let me just let me go and try this out and i met some incredible people like the first 
the first visit that I did for three weeks, three weeks became three months. And then after three months, I was like, okay, well, let me come back and do something for the summer. And I did that. And then, do you know, so it was all kind of just all the stars were aligning. And so, so <clears throat> when I lived in Stockholm, there was, you know, there are great opportunities, but they're very few. Yeah. And so you get paid, but there is there is really not that much on offer. So right. people are incredible musicians. They have incredible expression and all of these things. But I feel like I'm sure that all countries have this, you know, at the end of the day, we need more exchange and all of these things. But so growing up in Sweden, um, I had the immense fortune to have a father who, you know, who's a hobby pianist, uh, but a really, really good one. And at times does more gigs than I do. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. Cool. Which I love, do you know? Um, Absolutely. Do you know, uh, he has his little crew that he's been playing with for 50 years. Wow. And so, yeah. And so growing up, I had, uh, I had like a, my dad had a 10 piece Dixieland band. Oh, awesome. So there was like, you know, like all this like New Orleans music going on, crazy rehearsals in our house. And Amazing. and so, yeah, so I grew up in a small village, which meant that we had a house. And and so, yeah, so uh, I had the privilege to have musicians around me all the time. And my dad had this small, small music room but where we had one basket with like rhythmical instruments and then the other basket were like dress out clothes so it would always be like a little show going on somewhere or so i learned a lot of the melodies to jazz standards from the age of five so at the age of 10 i started writing my own music um at 10 and so, yeah good lord yeah at 10, yeah so you're but you're imagine- you're, a, you're, a, you're a precocious young thing. <laughs> I think I found my comfort zone there. I was like with headphones and a piano when I was listening to things and I was trying to transcribe. I trans like I actually like transcribe parts of the Moonlight Sonata by ear when I was really young. Wow! And it was just it was just because I was. I was just so customized by the piano, not that I could play or read music, but it was just like listening and finding melodies or, you know, patterns or these things were just super easy for me. And it's it's something that I still find. I, f- I can learn 30 songs in, you know, give me, give me a day and I'll yeah. be fine. But, um, but don't ask me a week later if I know which one is which, because I'll be like, oh, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> <laughs> That's genius. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you've sort of you've sort of taken us through already always through like your whole life. Let's can we can we rewind a little bit and sort of yeah. go back a bit. So you you your dad was a musician, so you grew up in a house full of music. Yep. Was it mostly jazz or was it any contemporary yeah. or pop music? No. I mean, I had uh, ABBA vinyls. Oh, right. Yeah. 
so that was pretty much our music and my mom my mom lo loved to listen to classical music so it was jazz like yeah. old school jazz it was uh, classical music and then it was you know whatever young people listen to i mean of course once i came to 13 i bought my first vinyl was saturday night fever and bgs was like my what <laughs> <laughs> The Gibbs, the Gibb brothers from, the from Gibbs Australia. The Gibbs brothers, great songwriters, yeah, amazing wicked. music. Wicked, so, yeah, yeah. To, you know, uh, and of course, like all the popular music that you listen to growing up once you were a little bit more adult teens. But to, because I started writing music so early, by the time that I was 13, I started in a, in a rock band. And we quickly realized that, yeah, it was fun to play, you know, <clears throat> the covers, but we really wanted to create. So I played with them for, I think we probably played for two, two and a half years. And we, we, uh, you know, kids, we entered these competitions and we did all these things and, but it was more about the community and about learning the skills of communicated in a group and uh, and all of these things and uh so that was a good platform for me to then move on to i like taking music slightly more seriously and making a little bit of money yeah when i was like my <clears throat> up until 20 years old i did lots of covers you know the the yep. the standard thing that you would do but you yep. would do the slightly more fun covers at that time we would you know and um but then i at 18 i um uh was accepted to an international economics program in business program in Uppsala. so i left everything and i just went to study business wow whereabouts and, whereabouts were you from actually in sweden i'm from the very south do you know um do you know malmo no, I've, been, I've, I've been I've been to Gothenburg, and I went. I, I spent New Year's at a friend's place in sort of a bunch of little little islands near Gothenburg, mm. about three hours away from. Oh, no, about two hours away from Gothenburg. Mm. Amazing. So I'm I'm very much more south. I'm from a peninsula, um, and it's uh, if you know where Copenhagen is, yeah. on the other side of the bridge is Malmo. Okay. And so if you go 30 minutes south of Malmo, you come to this small beach town and that's where I'm from. So And then you went off to study economics. Yeah. Wow. I studied economics for two years. So you can probably budget pretty well then. Uh, well, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do my own taxes. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Excellent. And so yeah. were you performing when you studied economics or did you just go cold turkey and just no, no, no. I, I, well, I continued. I didn't start a band there or anything, but in, in Uppsala and in Sweden, we have these like, they're the same concept as fret, fret houses, but they do totally different things. It's more like a, a mini community. So you have your restaurant, you have your, uh, your, um, uh, you have your library and you have like, you have all these like different places where people study and have parties. And so I got uh, active 
in that and there was lots of music and uh, I sang with a big band there and yeah awesome and so did you did you complete the degree or did you drop out or what happened no after two years I I um I wanted a break and so I wanted to find the kind of I wanted to become a marketing al- analyst of course <clears throat> And yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, accountancy <laughs> seems, seems normal. Game. Seems normal. Yeah. And so, um, so the university where I was studying was more focused on statistics and accounting and stuff. So I, I was like, oh well, it's good for me to take a break anyway. And during this break, I worked and I took song classes in the evenings. And that's when I had two different teachers come up to me and say, you have to apply for a music school. And then I was like, okay, yeah, 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 I can apply. And then I got in. And so that was like the 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 start of, yeah, of music. That's amazing. So obviously, obviously um, coming from the uh, household with a musician as a father, were you, were your parents supportive or did they say, no, you shouldn't do this? Is that why you got the economics degree or was that something for you, not your family? No, that was something they kind of were like, you know what, you need a real education and you don't really know sheet music and blah, 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 blah. And so, and you know, they're from a certain type of generation and I understand. And if I wouldn't have gone to Uppsala, I wouldn't have had the experience that I had there. And while I was in Uppsala, I actually met uh, the guys that I worked with for a couple of years called Coop. And it was like a, an electronic duo. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, we did some incredible work. And uh, so if I wouldn't have gone there, I wouldn't have had that experience. And also I, I had lots of other experiences that were really, really good for me. I was quite shy, ah, except cool. for when I was on stage. Yeah. So it kind of taught me how to develop my social skills a bit because when you're totally alone and you know no one, you really have to kind of, you have to find your tribe a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, And that takes social skills. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely seriously developed my social skills there because we did so many things, you know, and uh, I became, um, we call it songanförare, and it's when you have these big uh, student parties in Uppsala, there would be like 800 people in uh, seating, having dinner, and I would be the one leading the, the, the sit- songs for the Aquavit. Aquavit? Aquavit is like our vodka flavor with herbs. Oh, have you okay. heard of it? I've, I've only yeah. heard of it in the context of like... Uh... No, it's there's a, there was a very uh, there was a very strange TV show called the uh, uh, was it the Gentleman something Gentleman, and they used to drink Aquavita, which was their own urine. Oh yeah, own definitely not. Yeah, no, no, that's so definitely that, not thought, the same thing. So hang on a minute, oh, Swedes drink their own urine in university. No, this is, no, uh, no, 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 <laughs> no. A very old tradition of making. I think it, it was probably more of a digestive, to to be honest, oh, in the yep, beginning. Yep, yep, but yep, yep. but uh, but definitely has moved into more of a party drink. Uh, that's awesome. And yeah. So then, and so then, with when when you did your your, your university, was that 
when you applied to your music school, was that then in Sweden or was that when you went to the States? No, that was in Sweden. Great. So pre-university, pre uh, the Royal Academy, I did two years at Skulps Folkhögskola. And Skulps Folkhögskola is a, it's a funny thing. There is this concept called Folkhögskola. Uh, uh, and it's schools that the government made in the middle of nowhere so that people who lived on farms could go to school without having to travel for four hours because that would then not be likely that they would go to school. That's awesome. Yeah. And then once, um, That's you amazing. know, yeah, once the country developed, uh, these schools uh, became, so for example, if you weren't really digging school when you were younger, so you dropped out, you could go back to one of these schools and you could read up your grades, right? So that you could enter university. Right. But because there was such a small amount of these people, they started creating these like pre-university courses uh, no, uh, very often creative, and Skulhupsvolkhögskola uh, ha, has, or had at least, no, but it has one of the best jazz educations in the world. Wow! Because it's 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 hilarious. It's this school in the middle of nowhere. Um, the people who used to run it when I was there, Mulle Holmqvist. He was very smart. Like he used the budget, like the budget that they had to get, uh, well, the budget that they had to spend, they made sure that every teacher had their income, but any extra money, they took it to the students and the students could choose what master classes they wanted to have with touring musicians from all over the world. Oh my God. So because so many musicians would go to Stockholm or Copenhagen to play shows, it was literally across the bridge or, you know, a quick boat ferry or whatever. And so, uh, the the my school would bring like Richard Bayrak, Joe Calarasso, uh, Vincent Herring, like these uh, uh, EST, Espion Svensson Trio, like all these humongous names to us, to this wow. little group. We were like three singers, three horn players, three piano players. It was that's incredible. Tiny. Yeah. So that's that's got to do with the. I mean, I've, I've, a good friend of mine, the people that we spend New Year's with, um, mm. she's Swedish, and she talks sort of about the socialist government of Sweden and how it has yeah. so many benefits and also drawbacks, of course. But I mean, you know, that's the same of every system, I guess. But yeah. I, I can't see that sort of thing ever happening in a capitalist system. I just can't see it. Like, why? Why would they invest the money? What? Where's the profit in it? Mm, I mean, the profit for them were that they they got to teachers. They got a, a a salary to come and and educate like these incredibly keen young musicians. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't every, mean the teachers. I mean the actual oh, government. No, no. Like, why would the government spend that money? Like, I'm sure the teachers yes, loved it. Right, right. Um. 
I mean, education is massively important. Yeah. And I, I do think that, that um, because of the socialist system where everyone should have an equal part of society, everyone pays tax, everyone pays VAT. But that also means that uh, you have the right to free schooling. You have the right to uh, free food in school. You have a good pension. You have to, you know, you if you have children uh, and you're a, a you're a man, you can stay at home for one year with your child with eighty percent of your paycheck. Amazing. Do you know? That's so good. And and you pay hardly anything. I think you pay hundred and twenty quid a year for your baby's daycare. Do you know? And it's just like. And these daycares have outdoor spaces, which are phenomenal, and they do trips, and it's like it's super, super integrated. I, I feel that the, the 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 ethos of the Swedish government, at least the social democratic, has always been about family, family yeah. and quality of life, and they know that if if you work. Um, 10 hours or 12 hours you have less time with your family you will be because you have less time with your family and friends and for yourself and and training maybe and all of these things that makes you feel good and strong they know that you're going to be less productive yeah so yeah. their priority is to make sure that the swedish people have um you know uh, time with family and friends and because they know that that's going to increase productivity. So there is a really, really great system there. And and yes, of course, we pay uh, taxes, but we don't pay more taxes than anyone else. Well, we, we do, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not, I mean, we pay 30% tax, 28 to 32, depending on where you live. Uh, but then it's the VAT. We pay VAT. Even when I lived in, in Sweden, I declared every VAT, I declared I, uh, and taxes, of course. And I think it's just a responsibility and people feel good about taking that responsibility. Isn't that amazing? So, coming, coming from a country like Australia who's, and like living in the UK, when they're just mm -hmm. so busy just destroying everything that's got to do with support, they just, yeah. it seems like... I don't want to get too political straight away, but it just seems like all these countries, Australia, the UK, the US, are just hell-bent on making sure that people are as insecure as possible at all times so that you've always got to be in a panic like, well, oh, 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 you know, we can't rely on the government for anything, so we've just got to fight amongst ourselves to stay alive. I just, I, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. No. No, it doesn't make any not. sense. But, but well, that's, that's the system of capitalism, isn't it? Mm. Capitalism Insecurity. needs people to, yeah, they, they need people, poor people to work for hardly any money so that the, the richer people or the, the bigger companies can benefit from, um, well, have more margins and more win, uh, profit. That's what so yeah, I've, I've been I've been delving into a bit of Marxist theory lately. We don't want to go down that route. It will be here forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is not a political. This is not a political podcast. Otherwise, we could just sit no, here and talk about uh, that. It's very important. On that, 
Yeah, very important. And on that note, just to kind of show you the benefits of actually having this type of system. So when I uh, when I finished that degree in Skurup and I went on to the Royal Academy of Music, what the government did, because they wanted to encourage me for going back to university, they halved all of my loan. So all the money that I had taken for my finance students, my business students, and then for Skurup, they just cut it straight in half and they, they just took away 50% of my loan. And they just said, well done, you uh, awesome. Good luck with your education and blah, blah, blah. That's amazing. In, in Australia, they've just effectively doubled all of the fee structure for anything not to do with uh, finance, basically, or it's all the arts, all the philosophy departments, basically the fees have all just doubled because mm. they don't want their people to think. They want their people mm. to just be busy drones. It's disgusting. Yeah. Mm. So, so yeah, so that's from Skurup. I then moved on to the Royal Academy. And after two and a half years at the Academy, you know, I had a bit of an ant in my pants and I felt like, okay, this is, no, I, I understood that going from Skurup where, you know, you lived on campus, you had access to studios and grand pianos 24 yeah. seven. I did all my creative work there. I learned how to read sheet music. I understood harmonies. I do, you know, I really developed a lot there. Um, Going to the academy, I knew that this was about getting skills. Yep. So I was like, I want to be in the big band. I want to do this. I want to do that. And da, 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 da. And unfortunately, there was a lot of no's. No, Charles Mingus didn't have a singer in his band. Oh, right. No. Very traditional but, stuff, was it? But we were talking about music here. So, yeah. you know, so... um. So after two and a half years, I was like, I was in New York and I called up New School because I wanted to know if I can come and look at the, the facilities. And they were like, oh, yeah, we have an audition next week. Do you want to come? Do you want to audition? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Just, and then, uh, that's good prepa uh, preparation time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> ah. So I just, I literally did an audition the same day I went to see the school. Wow. And then um, met some incredible people that first day. And, and then, you know, I think it was, must have been a year later that I started because they, yeah, it was, it must have been in the spring or summer at some point. And then I was accepted to the fall, but I financially, I wasn't prepared. So I started in 2003. Right. And then and I so spent that was, a year. That was in New York. That was in New the York. New school. At New School. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And when they told me that uh, Reggie Workman was my mentor, I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, this wow. is so cool. So you had to you had to go back to to Sweden to make some money. Is that right? Or yep, yeah. I went back to Sweden to the academy and I made some money and and you know saved up and then um, yeah. Uh, two thousand and three. That's New York might have been almost affordable back then, mightn't it? Mm, 
Because <laughs> <Not sure. laughs> I, w- I was there, not last year, well, because the whole of last year is just a write-off, but we were there in 2019, and uh, it's expensive, man. That place is expensive. And London I live, is expensive. I live in London, and I found New York expensive. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's also because you're constantly – out there you're constantly in the streets and if you live in new york it's a slightly different thing you know you wouldn't go out and have lunch and dinner and you know that's what vacations are for which you know that extra splurge yeah yeah so um but no new york was expensive i paid i had a very cheap room and i paid six hundred dollars a month back then back then wow yeah so, and that wasn't a big room, <laughs> yes. yeah. uh, but, 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 you know, in a great space in, in Alphabet city in, in the village. So I could just, you know, I could walk to, to my school and it's just beautiful. So living, I had living the dream, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Listen, I really lived an incredible year in new york and that would always stay with me and i met friends for life at new school people that i really admire and love and that i call family so it's it that was an experience because if i like i went to um so Richard Workman was my my mentor and he held, of course, the John Coltrane ensemble. And I was like, hey, do you know, I love John Coltrane's music. I would love to be do this ensemble. He was like, sure, but you have to audition like everyone else. And I was like, OK, cool. All right. And so you auditioned, you auditioned to every single uh, yep. um, uh, ensemble that you wanted to be a part of and i think that's really cool because then if you're if you're super passionate about mingus's music why wouldn't that teacher let me do that that's crazy do you know and look joni mitchell did a beautiful album of mingus's music so there you go he was proven wrong and i just think when teachers are like oh you like this music Awesome. Yeah. Audition. If you're at the level that I expect, then you're more than welcome. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's it's got to fair. do with, I think it's got to do with um, more of a mindset of the education system, yeah. isn't it? Sometimes it's like, no, this, this is what we teach. This is how we teach it. And, yeah. you know, my, my dad was a teacher for 20 something years and it's, um, he, he nice. would complain the same way. So, you know, these kids don't need to learn this. If a kid wants to have you know, he's really interested and wants to go down a different path. You should be allowed to do that. Yeah, of course. It makes sense, especially if the if, especially if the students like super enthusiastic. Like, absolutely. that's a teacher's that's a teacher's dream. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Why absolutely. do you want to kill that? I don't know. Just traditionalism. It's too hard. Maybe it takes too much work. Yeah. Maybe if you're stuck in a rut. I think at times, I think that if you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've been teaching. I've been teaching vocals since 2000, pretty much since I started my education at um, at the academy. Um, and I've never, I've always felt like if I see someone who feels really intimidated, I'll sing with them. If I see someone who has 
like a really good gift. I'll talk to them if I see, do you know, like I really do see myself more as a guiding mentor. Not that I have all this like super knowledge, but I do have experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I can guide with what I know I think is beautiful in people. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, that that's a skill you got to have if you're going to teach. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I ran a, I ran a teaching studio for oh, 10 years or something, maybe seven or eight years mm-hmm. or something in Australia. And it was like, you just live for the kids that come through mm. that are excited that actually, because usually, I mean, with guitar, because I teach guitar, I, have, I don't teach much anymore, but I used to teach heaps. And mostly it's getting two things. It's getting the fire mm-hmm. in their eyes so that they're excited about it. Mm-hmm. And then getting a practice regime, like that's the two things. Yeah, because of course, any instrument, it's muscle memory. If you, you know, even even vocals, it's all muscle memory. It's all about visualizing. It's about repeating all the time. So that was the two things. If I had a student that would come back consistently and practice, and also bring me stuff to work on, that's the mm-hmm. dream, man. Like that. That mm. then teaching is a joy. Like it's so much fun. I, I can't yeah, see. Of course, I can't see why you'd never want to encourage that. I, yeah. No. But you know, people uh, maybe people get distracted, and also yeah. if you have a if you have a boss that's really hardcore, you you never know. But nonetheless, it's it's great. I think that we can all, no matter what we do or who we are, we can all take a little bit more responsibility for inspiring people around us. Oh, absolutely, man! If if you if you have that fire. You've got to share the fire. You got to you got to set yeah. off little brush fires everywhere as much as you can. <laughs> I think everyone has little fires, don't you think? I, uh, well, some people don't, but most pe- most people have. Uh, yeah, people but got I something. think I think most people have a little fire about something. If that's football, or if that's baking, or if that's you know cleaning how cleaning, or if whatever it is, gardening, or I think people do have these little fires, but at times I think that people don't don't think that their fires are important enough. That is a very good point. That is a very good point. So after you left the new school, wh- where did you go next? Yeah. So then I had um I stayed there for two semesters and then I went back to Stockholm and I had one semester left because before I left, I made sure that whatever I do in New York is counted into my education. And that's good, so that's um, good economic thinking, mate. Uh-huh. The economic degree come through. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, so I, um, Yeah, so I went back and I had one semester. I did my final concert and, you know, all the things that you do. And I went to Africa, uh, to Gambia, and I did this exchange program there where you got to learn how to, well, you learned about their culture and and how jollies works and building djembe drums. Oh, djembe is nice. Yeah, and just learning about like, how the origin of like musicians and and you know storytelling and all this is super cool in the middle of nowhere and and learning yeah it's, it was it was a it was a, a 
an absolutely wonderful way to finish off this education coming from New York where everything is like, go, 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 go. And coming to like the, like the, the, the tundra no but it's like very far out wow. in outside of the the capital city and, and, and so was that organized through the school or was that a separate program yeah. or no wow. it's we're all organized there's this uh core player in gambia in baku um and he he has toured a lot so he has connected with musicians and of course do you know the the guy who was the leader of my program, the uh, Afro musician, uh, uh, um, he used to play with ABBA. He was the bass player of ABBA. So, no. of course, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, people know people, of course, like networking, we know each other. Networking, yeah, right? networking, yeah, of course. So, um, so um, this uh, musician, this uh, uh, Gambian musician, he... He started talking to one university in Utrecht or something in, in Holland. In the and then yeah. yeah. And then they started this exchange. And then of course it spread and then it ended up in Sweden too. So every Royal Academy in the Sweden, there are three, uh, they go to this camp. And so then they built this camp. And the camp uh, it's people from the village who work there. And uh, if people don't have food for the day, they can come and eat at the camp. So it's it's like really beautiful, sustainable, you know, um, situation. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow, that's such a cool experience, man. Yeah, yeah, super, super cool. Oh, super and, cool. And, and were you there for like a few months or a year or? No, we were there for six weeks. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And did it? Uh, and with with people speaking English, did you have to learn some of the local dialect? Or, I mean, of course, the there was um, no, but Gambia is a English colony, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, Senegal is a French one. I know nothing so, about Gambia. Yeah, no, 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 but but um, but they speak English, and of course, they speak Wolof and all the different tribe uh, languages, of course, but the people that most of the people that were working in the camp, especially the people that were working with us, that were our guides, they all spoke English. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other one spoke, you know, some more, some less, but there was, there was definitely a lot of sign language going on. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and then, and so when did you start coming to London then? So I, uh, after I released my first album in 2005, um, and then I in 2006, I um, I had uh, I had licensed my album to, to Japan and made some money. So I was like, my sister was like, "Come here," because I was like, "I really want to go back to New York," and. <laughs> And my sister was like, "Well, come to London." So I was like, "So." And then it's like I'm I there. Met... You're acting it out for me. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was it was great. It was it was such a beautiful transition. I met this American singer called Patrick Allen in Stockholm. I was singing backup vocals for him um, at this party. This like final kickoff party 
um, uh, for a huge dance group called Bounds. They had done this humongous show and they had this like uh, a final party to thank everyone and celebrate. And so I was singing with him and then we connected and he was like, if you ever come to London, I was like, I'm going there in like a month. And he was like, yo, you got to come and hit me up. Da, 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 da. And so I went and I went to his night. He, have you met Patrick Allen? Well, the name is familiar, but I don't think I know him. Yeah, you probably no, no, but you probably will. You probably know him when you see him. But anyway, he has this like the singers' night, and at that time it was at ten rooms in Piccadilly, mm -hmm. and I convinced my sister and her husband to come with me because I didn't know London at all, and I literally come in and I walk straight into Spike Lee. I head button. <laughs> There's a story. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sorry. He was like, no, I'm sorry. Da, 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 da. And it was just that type of night, like Orlando Bloom was there, Kira Knightley, like wow. Chris Tucker, like people really came through to hang out because it was a it was a great night. It was great vibe. Patrick is like Patrick is such a gracious host and he really knows. He sees someone, he's like, come on. So I literally Walked into Spike Lee and then Patrick was like, CC, come up here. And I went straight up to the stage and did like a little scat solo. And yeah. because everyone else were like R&B singers, everyone was like, wow, how cool. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and so I made so many friends that night, but some of the people there definitely like I have stayed connected with ever since. That's awesome. Did you, yeah. did you when you when you walked into um, Spike Lee? Did you immediately get New York flashbacks? Isn't he? Isn't he of like the, the Brooklyn guy? He oh, he's Spike the Brooklyn Lee? guy. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 Mr. Brooklyn for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. And so then, what? So you you just sort of started to go back and forth between Sweden and London then over the next few years, or? No, I mean, no, no, not at all. It was literally that was I think that was in February, or something like that. And then I stayed for three months. And then I had to go back to my apartment. And so I rented out my apartment and then, um, uh, and then, I mean, in Sweden, there's like a limit when you own an apartment, you can't rent it out too long and blah, 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 blah. blah. And so then I, uh, during that summer, I decided that, you know what, this is right. You know, I can't, I can't go back to Stockholm now because there's not the, the experiences that I've gotten already. Yep, yep. They don't exist. Yep, yep. They don't exist because there's so few jobs. I never left the square of being like the frame of being a jazz singer. Yeah. I, no one ever asked me to do a soul or a funk gig which is crazy right. considering that like one of my greatest inspirations is groove music from like 68 to 74. So yeah, really? So I'm like, yeah, I'm all about Betty Davis. And well, we're going, we're going to get into that later, <laughs> but do you know? So, so it was, so, and when I got to London, it was like, it was all yo, you yep. can sing anything. So let's, whatever you want. And that's why I've worked with so many different bands and so many different artists and, and my music. I think also when you hear my music, you hear 
yeah, you hear jazz, of course, but there's lots of groove in my music. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's it's just music, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, it's like you, it, there's only a certain amount of notes. So if you want to just try and like pigeonhole yourself down into like one area, and I mean, jazz is like, it's bottomless. Like there's so many genres and subgenres, and it's got such a rich history, but you know, there's nothing like a really well-produced pop track either. Like you're, no. allowed, you're, you're allowed to enjoy both things. Yeah. No, <laughs> for like, sure. Absolutely. absolutely. 100%. And, not, and, and, and this is what I always say when people ask me, so what's your music like? I'm, I'm, I always say it's a mixture of jazz, uh, hip hop, Brazilian rhythms. It's like, I can just say that my music is stories and groove. Yeah. Do you know? I know that's a bit cliche, but it really groove ass in like there's like a there's a there's a movement there, even if it's a ballad. Yeah. Yeah. You'll hear even if it's not in in the, in the drums, it might be the the BVs doing something. Absolutely. So, yeah. So there is always like some sort of rhythms and, and and movement there. So yeah, so after the Royal Academy, I ended up here and and I've been here since yeah, fifteen years soon. That's this wow, year, that's, I think it's fifteen years. That's awesome. Yeah. And so going back going back to influences, you you talked about yeah. like so the jazz thing obviously was was formative, but what what sort of other do you remember like a moment where you went, ah, oh, like when the light came on, where you think, ah, oh, this is this is what I want to do? Do you mean like this is what I want to do? I want to do music, or yeah, uh, so I, I, or I this is the type of music that I want to do. Well, this is the like this is the thing that gets me going. I remember for me, it was listening to the solo from "I Want It All" by Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, the this Brian May does this big solo, and I saw it, yeah. and I heard it, and I went, "Oh my god, what is that? I that that's what I have to do. I have to do that, like that, whatever that is, like that's me. That's yeah. what I want to do." And yeah. so yeah. I remember, like I always listen to music, like my bit like your house. My mum was a musician in the sixties and stuff, so we grew up singing, and I was in choirs from the time I could walk, sort of thing. So there was always music, but when I saw that, I went. Light bulb, that's what I gotta do. Yeah, did you, yeah, have, yeah, did you yeah. have a moment like that or was it more a gradual thing? I think because I wrote my first song at at um at 10, the feeling of being able to express something through music was really magical. Uh, but then I I always made music. My parents were always, you can all like you can always do music in in your spare time and you know so and thankfully this was pre uh pre smartphones i would assume so yeah there wasn't as, yeah, there wasn't as many was. distractions <laughs> no for sure for sure yeah no so um i think i i don't know i don't know i think when i think when when those two teachers when i was working and and studying at night i think when those two teachers told me like 
you really have you ever thought about applying for a music school and you should really look into this i think that was like a an affirmation or a confirmation for me with something that i wanted to do before but my parents shut down right. and so um it was an ex that external was a the external affirmation that you're actually quite good yeah because i guess because, coming from a musical household it would just be accepted that you would be good yeah but but i also think that there was like a, my dad was a dentist and my mom was a teacher um because do you know doing shows would mean you come home late at night and having a daughter you'd be like yeah i'm not you know maybe it's not the best thing and uh, I, I, I don't know what, what the, I just think that they were thinking, no, it's better that you do something that, you know, brings home the money. So you have your independence and then you do music at night or, you know, you do music on the weekends, whatever. So I think I was like already so used to writing and performing and, and doing all these things that I never really had that kind of moment where I was like, oh my God, this is what I want, what I need to do. But when I did this course and they told me like, you, you should really apply. And I, I applied and I was accepted. Yeah. I think my self acceptance of like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. That's when I felt like, okay, I'm home. And I think that's why those two years at school became so significant for me because I was like, this is your moment. You need to go all in. And the year in New York, you need to go all in. And when you, I got, when I got to the academy, it was like, this is tools. This is not creativity. This is tools for you. So that when you leave this place, you're already in a place where you know, you're a songwriter strong enough to, you know, if you want to write a big band arrangement or if you want to write a string or a quartet arrangement, you have those skills, you know, yeah. it, it would never be like, oh, no, I can't do that. No, you got, you got it. You got yeah, it. Just yeah. go for it. And so I really challenged a lot of things at the academy like i i didn't want a vocal coach i uh, i wanted a i i um i trained with lots of saxophone players and songwriters and composers and i like i did it slightly differently um because when i was in new york i met the 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 absolute best vocal teacher you could ever have and he he kicked me into shape like seriously <laughs> the skills that i have now are when i returned from new york i had a totally different set of skills than yeah. i had before yeah kicked you up to another level yeah because they're very unforgiving like when you uh, this is this is a funny story because just to show how americans are <laughs> when i got to um when I got to new school and I was accepted and like my first day, introduction day, they literally put all the newbies in the, uh, what do you call congregation hall or, yeah. yeah. And so there was, uh, uh, there was a tree or a quartet on stage and then all the teachers were there. 
And then they just said, okay, guys, so um, we're just going to check and see if you're in or out of proficiency. So we're just going to call your name and you can pick a standard and you play and then, you know, we'll let you know after. Oh, in or you out were of right proficiency. There. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is how they did it. Go That's up and perform, brutal. bitches. That's brutal. <laughs> That's brutal. Oh, my God. Did, did, no, did you see anyone just- crash and burn? Oh, lots, of course. Wow. Of course. Oh, oh yes. I would, you know, 50%, 60% didn't. Because there was lots of like Chinese and Japanese students that never done jazz before. Right. How are they supposed to know? Do you know? And, um, and uh, yeah, they could sing the the melody, but they wanted you to improvise too. So, of course, it's. Oof, that's brutal, man. Are you are you in or out of proficiency? What a what a what a coldly clinical way of destroying a life. That's genius. Oh yes, <laughs> but that's like that's the American way. They break yeah. you down and then yeah. they build you up. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, yeah. So so just to kind of show the difference in like okay. Is that is that funny? Because when you're talking about that the the cultural context from Sweden, it do, it reminds me a lot of growing up in australia it's like the fact that yeah music was that's for the weekend like you don't mm-hmm. do that that's not something you do as a job like you, yeah, why, yeah why would you do that yeah. as a job like that's one of these artsy fartsy one of these blokes are you just get on and get a job and don't worry about that stuff you can practice on the weekend and it's like yeah, yeah. that's yeah it's funny how that just that little external thing going hang on a minute you're actually really good that's mm. can just change the social context for someone just like that. Mm. It's mm. just, you know, when you know within yourself and you're already creating music, you're already wholly a musical person that all, you know, yeah. that the, the, the societal context just doesn't allow that. Mm. It's, it's do you crazy. Still have, do you still have people asking you like, so how's music? Well, I'm still paying my bills and I'm still traveling and I'm still investing in my business. And- I mean, the, the, the most <laughs> common question in, in, in Australia was, what do you really do? Ah, okay. So they're a bit more blunt. Yeah. No, they, they go, so, uh, so what do you really do, mate? Um, this. Oh yeah, yeah, but you know, what do you do for a job? This. <laughs> I mean, you know, not all the time, but that's one of the most common questions. And then the the other comment. It'd be hilarious common- if you would then say, "Well, I just made seventy seven grand yeah, last yeah. year, so <laughs> how much did you make?" Yeah, it doesn't. Make- it, it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. It's no. it's. And I mean, you know, we we were talking a bit off mic before about the different sort of cultural context, and I mean, that's that's mm. probably r- the reason that we're both in London, not in our respective home countries is the fact that yeah. while I think it is changing a little bit in my hometown of Brisbane, from what I've heard, like a lot of my mm-hmm. friends that still live there, apparently there's been a few more jazz bars open and a few more places like that. I think, I think sort of the musical meccas, places like New York, places mm-hmm. like Nashville, places like London, even Berlin, mm-hmm. um, places where there's centers of creativity really shift the context for you as a performer as well because you can mm-hmm. you can study and practice all you like but you walk on stage you've got a you've got to show proficiency yeah at all times for sure even on for a wednesday sure. even on a wednesday night yeah that's <laughs> think, so true and i think that's fantastic and so when you when you moved here you then mm-hmm. you said you worked with did you did i say you worked with the streets mhm 
How was that? That was amazing. I did the uh, the last electric proms wow. at the Roundhouse ever with That's them. That's amazing. Yeah. So how did you get, how did you get mixed up with those crazy guys? Because he's well, a bit, he's I, a bit of a nutter, isn't he? I don't know. He seemed very together for me. Like cool. he knew his music. He knew what he wanted in the rehearsals, and he was just like very communicative. Awesome. That's the that's the only side that I've seen of him. But whether he would he's another in other cases, maybe. <laughs> I mean, we all have a bit of another in yeah, all yeah, of us. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't really talk. But um, yeah. But uh, no, I did I did backing vocals for the um, uh, the show. Amazing. Yeah, at the Roundhouse, it was beautiful. It was so nice. And how was it performing at such a historic venue? Oh, I mean, it was the 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 venue in itself is is you know magical and it was with the heritage orchestra so it was like a big big band and um but the fact that bbc was there and there was like three million views at the same time that made me really nervous really i don't know why <laughs> that's amazing yeah I, I think i think if you weren't nervous then you wouldn't be human yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But when you know, when you're a professional and you think like, yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't my show; it was his show, and we were just supporting him. But, but I was a bit surprised that I that I got nervous. Uh, Absolutely, but like it was like excited nervous at yeah, the yeah. same time. And but so, yeah, no, you, it was great. Were you re were you recording and releasing your own music at the time? Or were you mostly just really diving into that side of things? <sighs> No, I've always been, because that was pr shortly after I released my album, my first album, my solo debut, uh, Straight Up. So that was like a year after or something. So I guess I was writing. I started writing uh, uh, on new stuff, but there was nothing in the, in the pipeline for me. I was really just trying to get to know UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you've been here for 15 years. I think I, I saw you first at the Old Fashioned Open Mic. Yes. Where I've yep. met so many amazing musicians. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the thing that struck me the most, and now, now I understand it completely after hearing your backstory a bit more, but was your, um, was your absolute confidence when you walked on stage. I, you don't often <laughs> see people walk on stage with that absolute confidence. No. And I was, I was like, oh, this is either going to be really good or really or bad. Really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it was really good. So, um, <laughs> so how did like that's that sort of that intervening sort of ten years? Because I think that was about five years ago. Because it was, mm -hmm. I think it was, I think you came to one of the first ones, didn't you? Were you one of the first yeah. ones? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I was at the very the very first one. I'm not sure if you're at that one, but no, probably. Um, so that intervening ten years, can mm -hmm. you just walk us through that real quick? You you mentioned that you came to Australia as well. What what was all that about? Yeah, so because I have family in Australia, um, I went. So that was what like 2018, maybe end oh, of right. 2000. So yeah, yeah, just recently, my uh, my cousin got married. 
Uh, and uh, the time before that, I went uh, because and that's a lot longer. That's like 20 years ago. I went to Australia as a musical director. Uh, a friend of mine from New York, um, one of his clients were hosting a, a 10 year anniversary married and a 40th birthday. Da, 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 da. Anyway, so they needed some music and he recommended me and they wanted like a samba band. And I was like, I looked in Cairns and I couldn't find anything. And so I got in touch with some people that knew some people and I found this DJ Lisa who is amazing and she connected me with some other people and all of a sudden I found this from Madeline's couch this oh yeah this <clears throat> great amazing amazing like yeah. if you want Brazilian music that's not by Brazilians these guys are so beautiful and you authentic and it's just like look I, my the hairs on my body are standing up no but also besides being like really genuine and loving loving what they do and loving this music that they play they're like super genuine people and yeah. like just wow i met this and then i met this community and it was just such a pleasure and we've ended up becoming really really good friends so when i went two years ago i hung out with them again and awesome <clears throat> but um yeah so so i've been 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 there a couple of times and this last time i did a show uh, at a jazz club there because i had two two nights in brisbane and i thought why not and i did a workshop too <laughs> awesome that's fantastic yeah um yeah so i in that time, you've you've released other albums. Can you walk us through the the other albums you've released? Yeah, so I would say the last ten years, I've released. Let's see, one, two, three, three EPs, and I would say straight up two full length albums. Wow. And so the full length album Step Like a Giant I think it was the album that really put me on the scene in UK. Excellent. And uh it was a uh, of course after being in New York and working with Reggie and it was like you, you please write some lyrics and so I started writing lyrics to John's melodies or songs that I liked and and so that ended up transforming after i played it in a quite traditional way i felt this is great but it's i i'm not going to release this because it's not my way of expressing myself so i did a revamp and i wrote verses or i i mixed them up or i did different things i maybe took the chord progression or uh, and then wrote a new melody and then I got a, a, a producer to do a beat for it or yeah. So I have all these different processes that I did for the album and the album was super successful. I played Love Supreme. I played Ronnie Scott's on the main stage and yeah, I just got really amazing feedback. Um, and um 
yeah, I think that that kind of signified my role as a jazz singer on the London scene. And then from there, I've I released these smaller projects. Like I did a project called The Story of Love with, um, um, do you know um, uh, Bugs in the Addict? Uh, no, I don't know them. Okay, so it's super them. famous um, uh, group in UK that does... Um, uh yeah that does broken jazz and uh so one of the guys there his name is darren benjamin aka das iq uh he moved to atlanta with his partner um and um he uh started working with this bass player called karika brawl simmons uh kari has played with india re for many 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 years Wow. And so Kari reached out and he said, listen, we're doing this project. We have this version of, of um, uh, the Beatles song, Norwegian Wood. And we just wanted to have a chat with you, you know, maybe if you're interested and what other influences do you have? And I was like, Sea Wind. And he was like, are you kidding me? No one knows about Sea Wind and da, da, da. And so we connected so hard and... Uh, I was gonna go. Um, I was gonna go and see my brother, who lived at that time. He lived in uh, Houston, right? And Houston, Houston is not Texas. too far. Yeah, Houston, Texas. So that's not too far from Atlanta. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna fly into New York, and then I'm gonna get like single flights, and I'll pass by you when I go back to New York. And so I spend a week with with the boys there and it was so magical like just the vibe the music the atlanta is a, a again a community with this amazing vibe and and people are like genuinely interested in music and culture and awesome yeah it's just beautiful and people live in this really cool houses uh, like a, a proper city with like like <laughs> i don't know like it's so it's so different um but um yeah so we released this four song ep the story of love again one original one song by c win called he loves you which is amazing and i want to mention that later on we did the norwegian wood version the beatles of course and then we did one song by john lucy lucien and we reworked these so that they um so that they like kind of suited us and added little bits and pieces and stuff so nice super super happy with that project and That's then awesome. I had been working in New York and because I grew up with Tribe Called Quest and the the hip hop from the 80s but like yeah. the the more poetic um the more um artistic yeah artistic and poetic I would say lyricism um uh I think that um uh that's what I grew up with. And so I've been working a lot with uh, some hip hop artists from New York. And so I released an album called The Love EP shortly after. I think that was 2016. The The Story of Love came out in 2014 uh, with the with Kari. We actually did a European tour. Amazing. We played uh, we played um, 
after yellow jackets for wow, the what? yeah no way uh, that's for, like going for, on after the queen or something yeah i know it's amazing <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah it's just insane how we got invited to that but it was for the dutch radio two i think it's called radio npr two or something like that and Cra- the there crazy was a- dutch they're weird yeah. people the dutch they no they no i love them I, i'm i married a dutch lady so i'm allowed to say that oh, okay yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah they um yeah there was this show called michinko and and they were like listen come 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 and play for us because we were already in the move so but um yeah that was sick that's they awesome. they were amazing oh they're so good that's that's but, that um, sounds like that sounds like uh a very very nice time yeah that was incredible yeah. and then um yeah we did the london jazz festival and these things here also with curry we really made sure that we had like a little a little plan and a little opportunity for for to really showcase him too because he's such a great bass player and so um yeah so that was really nice he was here for about two weeks i think outstanding yeah and then so i released the the love ep which is more uh beats based on grusen dave grusen the pianist yep samples from well i mean i'm sure that that uh, there are uh, samples from many albums but one in particular and then um so yes so that was literally production and then me doing all the melody and kind of work so it was like my first electronic release really wow that's cool and how was that was that a different experience well, obviously it's a different experience but how yeah. did you find that yeah, yeah, creativity yeah. i mean it's interesting because these guys sent me the beats and then the rest of the work was mine to do that sounds and that so- sounds like it's full of opportunity but also full of uh potential stress <laughs> yeah for sure for sure but i think because the beats the three beats that they sent me they kind of i don't know i kind of heard what i wanted to do straight away and i i feel that there's a very strong like kind of red line and then i also put two other tracks on there that are mine um that i felt was you know at times you have things in your in your stack where you've written stuff and you're not really sure where they're gonna go i've and got so whole hard it, drives full of those <laughs> right and so yeah it just became a really really nice ep i'm super proud of it and it's it's uh but it's one of those things where I like, do you know, I built up a certain type of clientele with the Step Like a Giant. I went on tour with Gregory Porter in UK. So, do you know, building on that, those fans, I didn't want to confuse too much. So I just did a quiet release of yeah. the, the, the Love EP. Yeah. And then now I've just released... Um, a new album called I Am. Nice. Last year. Nice. Yes. And uh, vinyl and digital release. Amazing. And how many tracks yeah. is on that one? Uh, 
about nine and then there is a an extended version of one of the tracks so yeah so a, a proper album yeah for sure and how do you so i had this conversation with someone the other day like because i really like listening to albums so mm. I, I i have certain bands that i go back to all the time and listen to albums from start to finish and, I, I mean, I just released an EP of like five tunes. Oh, nice. Six, six tunes, actually. But that's just pure instrumental guitar stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's very niche, to put it this way. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, okay. But, but I, str- I struggle with the idea of – I tried to pare it down as much as possible because I've got like literally like hundreds of songs ready, like mm. not, not finished, but, you know, same as what you say. You've got like your back catalogue of stuff. And I've done a bunch of – um, singer-songwriter stuff as well, but how do you, in your mind, what do you think about the album as a, as a release structure? Is it is it something that, did you feel like you were taking a risk releasing an album or did you just feel natural? Because I know a lot of people just aren't releasing albums anymore. Uh, no, it's very natural to me. Right. Because I see it as a documentation. I don't necessarily see it as, oh, I'm going to make lots and lots of money here, guys. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I know yeah. that the I choose the label jazz. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the genre for me. Yeah. And then however you want to define jazz in your own head, that's really up to you. Um, that's very brave. Yeah, but at this at the same time, no matter what genre we talk about, if we talk about rock, I'm gonna have I'm gonna think Led Zeppelin, Kiss, Aerosmith. Do you yeah, know? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna think about Turn Slipknot and do you know AC? Yeah, of course ACDC, but like all the kind of maybe the type of rock that I've never listened to, I'm not gonna think about those. Yep. 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 Yeah, yeah, but of course you. they're included. Yeah, and I don't deny that that's rock. I'm just saying my references. Yeah, are that's these true. And these and these. And so you don't you don't consider that when you're thinking about because I I've been reading a lot and talking to a lot of people about it now. It's just like because I struggle with it myself. Is the whole Spotify thing? I hate Spotify with a passion, but I also really like it. So mm. it's like. Basically, the Spotify CEO came out recently and say, well, artists have just got to work harder and released more material, more material, more material. And it's like, I can, I can see the point because our attention spans are so short now. If something doesn't grab you straight away, you just go to the next thing. But mm. there is something really to be said for, as you say, like this is a mark of where, where I'm at at the moment. Like here is these tr- tracks and these are important to me right now. Mm. It's, a re- it's a real, it's a head scratcher because- if you're trying to do it in a marketing way, you'd release one track at a time over like a year and ra- you know mm. raise your profile like that. But it's not genuine. But then also what is genuine anymore? Like what's selling mm. out? What's not selling out? I don't know. It's a minefield, man. I, to be honest, first and foremost, I think authenticity. Yeah. I just think sorry for swearing but fuck everything i think i do think that you need to do what you think is right for you and the core of your fans maybe if that's important to you yeah. do you know yeah. i think that like if if i thought only about the money and how i'm going to get that back 
I wouldn't be releasing anything. No. You know, I'd be doing little videos of me singing every day, la, 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 <laughs> because that doesn't cost anything. Yep. But I do, for me, as I said, for me, uh, recording and all these things, it's, it's a documentation, and mm. I love it. Yeah. I love the process of going into the studio and, and making this music. And maybe I don't have to choose to do vinyls or CDs anymore, right? Because nowadays the digital format is so strong and it's super accessible to people. Yeah. But the thing is, I'm a live music type of person. So I still will have quite severe their costs in yeah. making these things yeah unless i start working a lot more online so that i'll i'll send you my track you put guitar on it you send it back to you da, 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 da. yeah yeah but but there is something about being in that studio have rehearsed you know four times you know the music you da, 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 da. There is a difference. There's a difference in having that interaction and that tension and I think so. I think so. I mean, for I mean, I agree a hundred percent because that last EP I did, it's it's instrumental guitar music. It's yeah, no no one listens to it. No one is going to listen to it. I will get some listens and some of my some people that know me and support me and know my music will listen to it. I was just I was messaging with the guy before. He was telling me this track he really likes and all this sort of stuff. So that is authentic to me because that's what I love to do. And I yeah. didn't I didn't make that decision from a financial perspective. I did it because I really wanted to do this and so I yeah. did it. And it was the same yeah. thing. We walked into the studio and we did all the drums and the bass for five progressive rock and metal tunes in one day and it was full on like it was a head spit but and then when we did the mixing process i left i didn't quantize everything i left the groove where it pushed and where it pulled so that it was a genuine expression of what i what we were doing in the room and i you know i think mm. that has value unfortunately you know we we may be a dying breed in that front unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I think not. I think it's like uh, I see a lot of people post these videos where they where they record like one part, one part, one part, one part, and that's still because of the situation we're in now. Depends on how you do it. Like yeah. I, when I write music for clients, which I do a lot right now, is that I normally. I listen to the beat quickly and then I go, yeah, I dig this. Boom. I bring up my recorder and then I'll just jam to it. Yeah. And I think that if you, if you do a collaboration online, you can totally get that same yeah. Yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think it's a little bit about your attitude. So for example, I, this last album, we went into the studio one day and we recorded nine tracks. Oh. And we Ooh. did. What was the instrumentation on that? Two to four, two to five takes on each song, but with the break in the middle. So I'm very much a first take type of person. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to come into the studio 
you know, have a nice chat, a coffee, be like, yeah, let's, let's, let's warm up with the track and then boom. So it was drums, bass, and piano and vocals. That's amazing. Cause it, Mm -hmm. That, as soon as you say, like, in a day, I'm like, it takes about three hours just to get the drums mic'd properly. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, wow. That's awesome, man. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's like, that's the benefit of playing with the same people for 10 years. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, of course, we had a couple of rehearsals and some of the songs we co-wrote. And so we spend a bit of time that previous year together, just, you know, jamming and hanging and drinking tea and yeah. Plus so also they're, I think, they're probably fairly decent musicians, I'd imagine. I, I would say so. Yes. Yes. Just, just very, quietly, very, quite decent. Quite very, decent. <laughs> very good. No, they're freaking amazing. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And I think this is the thing, like when you, when you play live, you need to play with people that you admire and that Absolutely. you, that you feel, and they need to like what you do, you know, at the end of the day, or they wouldn't invest their time. Cause it's a conversation, isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. Every Absolutely. gig is a conversation between you Every and the band. Every gig is and a conversation. Yes. Listen, so we're gonna we might have to just have a quick bit of a chat about what happened about a year ago with the whole coronavirus yeah. thing. Because um, I'm having a lovely chat, but we're we're an hour and a half in. This is this is it's oh, going wow. it's going a bit too well actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you could talk us through, um, obviously. We're recording this at the start of March. Basically, yeah. next week, I think a year ago, everything shut down in the UK. Um, yeah. Can you just talk us through how it affected you first as an artist and then just on an individual level? Yeah. So as an artist um, and and also I'm an educator, so I have I run workshops uh for singers and they're they're all very specialized either improvisation or repertoire or so i do them for maybe 10 weeks at times and stuff like that and then i have lots of private students and then you know and gigs of course playing uh, you know uh shows and i've done quite a few tours uh, over the last couple of years, both in in Brazil and in China, and so everything stopped. Yeah, I had just come back from a tour in 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 São Paulo, mm. uh, and in uh, sorry in in Brazil. I was going to say, you, I'm gl- I'm bet you're glad you're doing it now rather uh, then rather than now. They're not doing very well in Brazil. No one's doing very no, well. Not in England either, to be well, honest. Bol- Bolsonaro is a uniquely bad. Um, I leader. think Boris Johnson is uniquely bad. Oh, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm no fan of Boris Johnson. I think he should be. I, I, I'm personally. I think they should all be fired. The whole bloody lot of them. But yeah, Bol- Bolsonaro yeah. got the disease, and then the next came out with coughing to a press conference with coronavirus, yeah. like. Yeah, he's a yeah. mental case, and that you know he's a mental case for sure. Right wing strongmen sure. never well work in a work well in a crisis. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Boris, Boris, Boris Johnson, Bolsonaro, and Trump—the three worst yeah. countries in the world—and they're all right wing 
authoritarian cult personality leaders, and they're all idiots are responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths. Yeah. That's my piece anyway. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Exclamation mark. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Just went off yeah, no, no, it's totally fine. No, but I um it just stopped. Mm. It just stopped. Everything stopped. Uh, uh people panicked about money. People uh uh People didn't want uh, even, yeah, even, yeah. People didn't want to continue lessons online. People felt quite, you know, no, no, singing lessons in face-to-face. And, and of course, the workshop stopped. All my shows, all my shows got just one by one canceled. Yeah. Cancel, cancel, cancel. I think I did. Once the lockdown started, I did two paid gigs last year. Oh, man. Yeah. That's amazing. Two. And one on online. Oh, my God. I mean, I haven't even, I haven't really chased any other gigs, uh, to be honest, um, because for someone who's a quite stable mentally stable person i think i am i don't suffer from any depressions or do you know i'm a quite a positive person that has i'm just like i'm i'm i'm, I'm i think i'm i'm pretty easygoing in in the sense where for me i've understood for me what's important is health if i don't have my health i can't help anyone else do you know, I, I just really, that for me, for a very long time, that has always been the thing that I've been like, do you know what? You, you're healthy, you can see, you can hear, you can smell, you can taste, you can. So I think th- that's a perspective that just always kept me quite sane, I think. And then having music, of course, is a great help because you you can express yourself and get through emotions that are difficult but i really went through an extremely high uh, anxiety period like seriously super high and i've never experienced anything like that before but a friend of mine messaged me the 21 days uh meditation with deepak chopra and i don't know I don't think that this person that messaged me, she definitely didn't know that I was going through it. Yeah. But maybe she felt it. I don't know. Something happened to your microphone. The volume is not very high at the Hello. moment. But Hello. Yeah, this is better, better, better. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. So, um, but she sent it to me and it's not a close friend of mine. It's, it's an acquaintance. And uh, she included me in this group with all these other people. And I just, at first I was like, oh no, I don't know. And then I was <laughs> like, do you know what? What else do you have to do? Yeah. And I mean, I knew enough about Deepak Chopra that I knew that this was a good thing. Okay. And it just, it just totally changed my, my, uh, my balance. Wow. So, so that was, that was to do with meditation? Yeah. Meditation Wonderful. and getting perspective. Yeah. Do you know? 
um and um yeah so i i totally like from going from highly anxious uh being scared of everything and everyone and very much scared of catching corona and do you know just i totally locked myself into the house um and uh because of that i then do you know i my my attention shifted i've been very careful i haven't left my house much but i've left to go for a run or a walk do you know yeah and i've gone shopping when no one else is going shopping yeah do you know not yeah. in the morning i'm going in like at 3 30 p.m or like at 9 30 do you know yeah. and it's yeah. like yeah. whenever one else is doing something I, i'll go and are you, are you still doing that now or yeah i'm super careful yeah right. super super careful but i I'm, i share i share a flat so i have other people that i can talk to and yeah and then i'm 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 also a lot of my friends my close friends i speak to uh every week and and i i make sure that i i also train online in my house i have a balcony terrace that i can go out to and get some fresh air if i don't want to leave the house so i'm i'm super lucky in the uh, and also where i am i'm super close to the thames so i can go for a walk and feel oh, nice. a little bit nice yeah. and how did it so so i'm so sorry to hear you went through that that sounds really terrible um obviously that affected you as a person do you yeah. how do you feel that affected you as an artist or did you just put that aside and try and deal with the issues at hand or do you because I yeah. know for me, I know for me, the first three months, four months of the lockdown, yeah, was just nothing. I, I, you know, as a musician, I played, I still played and practiced and worked on my craft, but there was nothing. I didn't create anything. Mm. How was it for you? Um, I don't. I'm not sure what I did. No, I do you know what? Do you know what I did? I did a lot of uh home edits. So I like repainted my ch kitchen cabinets, I like sanded down a couple of tables and stained them. Like I did lots of like I I I set up my house. I I cleaned out my wardrobe. I do you know, I did things like that anything to try to make me feel better. Yeah. And also what I did do and i'm so grateful i did that straight away off the bat when i was like we're locked down i was like okay i need to find a solution for the fika session so for you guys who don't know the fika session is a live music and discussion event for creative professionals to come together under one roof exchange ideas support network and uh to build a creative community and i've done those live sessions for three years and when the city came to a halt, I was like, okay, well, is there any way that I can take it online? And there was no way unless using Zoom to do yeah. like multiple kind of situations at that time. So I was like, okay, well, I need to think of something else. And so I thought, well, maybe if I do like a one-to-one, 
interview with a musician or a creative. Yeah. And then I ask them about their experiences, about their creative process and all these things that we normally talk about at the Fika session. Yeah. And so I started writing down names of every, you know, just writing down names of people that I've already planned to invite to be on a panel. And literally, I filled out three months within a week. So I did an interview Monday through Friday, every day at, I think it was like 7 p.m. on Instagram Live. And I did that for three months. I think it failed two, three times. So, um, and um, yeah, so that was like 60 interviews that I did. And then the month, it was amazing. And I think that really saved me because um, like real happiness comes from connection. And so if you have an opportunity to connect with someone, just like we're doing right now, you know, talking about life, about everything. um, Yeah, I think it really, really saved me because even the days when I was like, I really don't, I really don't want to do this. (laughs) I feel shit. I don't, you know, I would just put on a bit of lipstick and I was smack on that conversation and I would just ask questions and it would just be like, it was so great. I felt yep. so happy and yep. I, I, I learned so many interesting things and I had great conversations. So then I developed that um, and I got, uh, I did a month where I had other people host the Fika session and I watched every single one of them and equally as inspiring if not more in hearing other people ask questions and also seeing their perspective yeah and uh very 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 amazing so and then after that i i i saw that facebook had this opportunity to create a room and so then I started creating a room and I would feed it back to the Fika session. So, so that's where we're at at the moment. Uh, and then, yes, of course, uh, with um, um, December, January, February, normally I don't do a Fika session, only to give myself a little bit of space, a little bit of time to kind of think and breathe and, and then build onwards towards uh, the next step. And I think... To be honest, I think, I don't know, for me, the FICA session has always been about meeting in person and and doing all of these things. So right now, I'm not very active for the FICA session, uh, but it is a great connector and it's helped a lot of people. It helped me a lot. It connected lots of people. I've seen great work and I've seen people blossom from being too shy to say to stand for what you are and then to yeah. see them now take over the world it's at times it's just like a relationship do you know it's yeah. like sometimes yeah. you meet someone whether that's a partner or a friend and you have this experience and it's just beautiful and it blossoms and then it kind of fades off and dies or whatever or it continues and grows in different ways and i think that the fika session for me um 
has given me so much life and so much joy and love. But my right now, my mind is so much more on doing musical collaborations. So I, I, I work a lot with writing music for people, uh, which is a, a very interesting conversation and a very interesting thing to do. Uh, but also collaborating with people that I really admire or that we have a great project together. And yeah, it's, I'm very productive at the moment. That's amazing. And so when you say mm. you're writing writing songs for people, is that people who approach you and say, I have an idea, can you help me with yeah. this? Or is this that, that yeah. sort of idea? So you're basically yeah. like a musical director sort of thing. Yeah, it could be anyone. It, it could be, uh, um, so I've done it for two years now. So word of mouth and everything else that kind of, um, uh, works. Um, so it could be anything from helping with writing lyrics. It could be melody and lyrics. It could be melody lyrics and to sing it. It could be just writing backing vocals. Sometimes writing and singing sometimes it's like oh hey listen can you just listen to the song and give me some feedback what it needs more yeah which right, is more okay. like yeah so That's it could awesome. really be anything um and how do people vocal- how do people contact you for that do they just track you down online and approach yeah. you or- yeah awesome. email me yeah. Yeah. awesome yeah make yeah. anybody listening make sure you do that cecilia is yeah. awesome she's awesome hit me up hit me up man All right, yes. well, I, I think um i think that sounds like quite a journey you've had. Yeah. And uh, I think that might be a good place for us to just do our speed round before we finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just, I'm just going to ask you some just sort of fun questions to finish off. So you, Okay. You can, you okay, can let me have a sip of water. So do that, I'm do ready. That, do that. Lubri- lubricate the cords. Um, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so here we go, the speed round. So. Who's your okay. favorite? Who's your favorite artist right now? There's so many. Shit, this is not fair. <laughs> Top of mind. Who springs uh, to mind? P- okay, uh, PJ Morton. PJ Morton. Who's that? Oh my god, he's an amazing, like, kind of R and B, gospel, jazz singer, piano player. Uh, just absolutely amazing. Amazing. Awesome. PJ amazing. Martin. Morton. Morton. PJ Morton. Okay. Mm. Great. And what's your favorite song right now? A song by uh, Mark Ayers. It's called Easy. Cool. I don't know. It sounds it sounds pleasant. He's a he's amazing too. Yeah. Okay. And what was the what was the last song you listened to? Uh, it was some Brazilian um some Brazilian uh, like um Samba Jiho the music. Sabajihoda is when they sit around a table and they play music. I was checking something out on YouTube. Nice one. <laughs> yeah. What was what was the last album you listened to from start to finish? Uh, it was Mark Ayers. Uh, he has a an album called Drive. I listened to that yesterday when I was uh, having lunch. Beautiful. What was um? What's a song that you wish you had written? Ah. <gasps> <Ooh. laughs> oh. Okay, I'm gonna say "Rock Steady" by Aretha Franklin. No, 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 no. Wait, 
I wish I wrote He Loves You by Seawind. Okay. That's a fucking killing song. Is it just, be- just because you love that song so much? or? Oh, my God. It, but it's also so great. There's so many different harmonies and parts. And yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay, so who's your favorite guilty pleasure artist? It's like some uh, uh, someone you listen to that other people might think is a bit uh, cheesy or silly. Cheesy, yeah. Abba maybe? No, I don't listen to Abba anymore. God, I don't know. Um, who is cheesy? Um, Spice Girls. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Lionel Richie maybe? Yeah. So I don't ce- know. I don't, I don't. or something. I don't really. I don't really Hello. have any. Is it I don't really listen to that for? either. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't listen to much cheesy music. Hmm. What, I, what about yeah, what sorry. about what about a silly song on the or like if you if you're in a in an Uber or something and a BBC One and listening to something and it comes on you're like yeah like I will survive. No, or no, okay, like okay, okay, no, okay, so. I don't know if he's he's cheesy, but someone who's a popular artist that I love to listen to is Bruno Mars. Okay. I don't know. N- I mean, he is a bit cheesy in some parts, but he's got such a great voice and such a cool songwriter and such an amazing musician. So we'll, we'll call it cheesy. How about that? We call it cheesy <laughs> because I can't think of anyone else. <laughs> okay. So final question. Um, what other skill outside of music would you like to have? Any skill? Any skill. I'd like to be able to make people compassionate right Ooh, there. Boop. That's a big one. That's a great answer. I think uh, I think my <laughs> video feed might have died. Yeah, I, look, I think you frozen. I'm, I'm frozen there in a very, very flattering picture. Um, yes. So anyway, it's been lovely chatting to you. Um, yes. Where can people find out more information about you? So if they go to ceciliastalin.com, so it's C-E-C-I-L-I-A-S-T-A-L-I-N. So just like Joseph Stalin, uh, but like Cecilia Stalin, yeah, yeah. Dot com. Yeah. Um, and you can find me on Instagram. It's the same Cecilia Stalin. You can find me on Facebook, but it's Stalin Cecilia. Um, and yeah, the Fika session.com. If you want to check that out. That's uh, F-I-K-A, yes? Yes. The, okay. the Fika session, F-I-K-A. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it just, you know, uh, I'm on Spotify and iTunes and Tidal and Deezer and all the platforms. You can hear my music anywhere. Um, yeah. So I would say that that's, that's it. Go out and support artists. Go and buy their album. You yes. know, it really does make, an, uh, make a difference. Absolutely. If you listen to someone a lot on Spotify, go and buy their album. It's not going to kill your wallet. Absolutely. Uh, b- but it would definitely, you know, help and support uh, uh, us who make music. It's it's not to, to pay our bills. It's just for us to get a little bit of money back so we can reinvest in making more music. Beautiful sentiment. 
All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Cecilia. Pleasure. So and, great uh, to talk to you, Ben. Yeah. So I, I found out some really cool, really cool information about you, which is one of the reasons <laughs> I love doing this stuff. So anyway, hopefully I get to see you um, on a London stage very soon. I hope so. Let's let's jam very soon, okay? I've got all everything crossed. Everything crossed. <laughs> Me too. All right, Ben. Bye-bye. Have a nice weekend. If you've enjoyed the podcast, feel free to head over to the PayPal link attached to the description in the show notes and throw us a couple of pounds. You can also head over to my website, www.beneatonmusic.com and check out all the stuff that I do. I'd love for you to leave a comment or get back to me on Facebook, Instagram or YouTube all under the name Ben Eaton Music. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.